What are you seeking? What are you looking for? This is the question that Jesus asks the would-be followers. And it's a, linguistically, it's a simple question, but it's so deep. What are you really hungry for? And it's a question I offer you as well. What are you seeking? Why have you come here this day? Maybe for some of you it's that the, the last week was, was so good, was so overwhelming, like, like the psalmist says, you, you want to declare God's praise in the congregation. Maybe for some of you the week was just nonstop and you, you just want a, a time of Sabbath, a, a comfortable ritual and routine that will allow you to have a moment of reflection and grace in your week. Maybe for others, you're, you're hungry for some connection, some relationship, a sense of community in an often fragmented world. To get at my answer, why, why I have, have come today, what, what I am seeking, I need to go back to a phone call that my brother gave me over our vacation. So my brother calls me, and normally we text, so I'm kind of like, okay, what's going on? And uh, he calls me and lets me know that my, my aunt uh, had decided to move out from my uncle, the apartment that they live in together, and that there was a likelihood of divorce. And this, this really hit me pretty hard. My, I mean, I would have been hit hard by, by any such news in, in my family of a marriage that's older than me. But, but in this particular case, my, my one aunt has some developmental dis- delays, and so there's a real sensitivity around her and the family. And so I was just starting to kind of ponder all of this, and I, you know, was later able to catch up with my mom and talk to her more about it and my dad and kind of figure some things out. But I was walking the other day, and I just thought, you know, this whole situation speaks of a past that is probably darker than we want to admit. And in the present, there's all sorts of ways now which this decision is impacting other people. And I know that the future is going to have a lot of pain. In addition to all that, in this particular wing of the family, my sort of power and influence ranking is about number 10. Okay, I got no vote, right? I, I'm like so far down the totem pole here, so I can't do it nothing about nothing for anybody in terms of what's happened here. And so I'm just kind of like struck there, and I'm like, wow, this is a situation which is, is, is sort of decades in the making, has brokenness, will continue to sort of cause pain and suffering. I don't fully understand it, and there's nothing I can do about it. I just had a sense of sadness, just a real sense of sadness. And how many of you have had that experience where you, you're confronted with a situation that is just, you can't fix it, and you just know you have to grin and bear it, and it just, it just, it just weighs heavy on your heart? And, and this sense, though, that like somehow that there was, like, it's just like the circle of life was, was kind of missing some pieces, to put it theologically, that the, the righteousness of God was, was not there. That somehow between each other, between us and God, between us and creation, again, there's, there's an estrangement, a, a lingering sense of dis-ease and, and dissatisfaction with the way the world is. And so I, I come this day, I, I am seeking. I am seeking the one whom John the Baptist 
as a prophet here points to. I am seeking the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, I am seeking the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I want to draw attention there that it's not the sins of the world, but it is the sin of the world. And that's a distinction. Because if it was sins, sins are all the things that you and I do, right? So, um, we don't say what we're supposed to. We don't do something and hurt somebody else. Maybe, you know, we, uh, you know, eat too many cookies, right? Or, like, we, we don't go to worship. We don't pray. We don't be generous. Again, all these particular things that we do that hurt other people, hurt our relationship with God. Those are sins. But, but John here says Jesus is the one who takes away the, the sin of the world. And by, by sin here in the singular, we mean that that fundamental brokenness in the world, the fundamental sense between you and me, between you and God, between us and creation, that it's just messed up. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to take away. And so we come as Christians who, who believe that Jesus Christ is the one who is crucified and risen, that one day there will be a world in which it's all made right. One day, yes, one day there will be a world in which faith is sight and, and finally all the people of all the tribes are gathered together praising God and there is no more pain, there is no more death and there is no more sin. But I want some of that now. <laughs> I want some of that now. And so then we even hear this, what John makes though is, is an even bolder claim and he doesn't say that in Jesus there will be the sin of the cosmos finally dealt with. He says... This is the one who's taking away. Right now, John is saying, when John points to you, he's saying, this is the one who's taking away the sin, the estrangement, the power of death in this world and in this universe. I'd like to share with you then, I'd like to share with you two illustrations of, of people that are bearing witness to me that God's power is at work in this world, who are, who are pointing to the fact that the Lamb of God is crucified and risen and is at work in our world taking away the sin. Okay. Well, this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr., the weekend in which our nation remembers his life and the work that he did. And so it brings up for all of us this sort of fundamental estrangement that we have in our culture around race. It's always a super sensitive and complex topic. We all admit that somehow it's, it's not the way it should be, and we're kind of all a little bit uncertain of how to move ahead and sort of distinguishing between what sort of media and what's the real hurt and pain that people suffer. And, sort of, and our church has sort of been reflecting on this the last two or three years, and it sort of helped me understand how this plays itself out locally. I was seeking out somebody who could, could give me some wisdom and uh, sort of the, names that I, the name that I was uh, pointed toward was a man named Roland Forbes. So I was able to get a hold of uh, Pastor Forbes. He's a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist, which is a, a really large and significant historically African-American church in Lancaster. And uh, what I learned about uh, Reverend Forbes is that he is sort of the go-to guy whenever there is strain in Lancaster between police and the minority community. If there's something that blows up in the paper, you'll probably have found him being quoted. And he's on all these different commissions, and the, you know, he, he sort of is really connected, and he's doing all this work. And I was sort of thinking, I was like, why would any human want to do that work? Because no matter what you do, you're going to get criticized, 
right? I mean, he's an African-American, so if he leans toward one way, it's like he sold out. If he leans toward the other way, he doesn't support police, right? And he's just setting himself up all the time to sort of be, to be grilled. So I wanted to know, like, what would inspire somebody to sort of do this kind of work? So we met up, and again, we're just sort of, I'm getting to know him and learning, and we're kind of talking, and then we sort of get a little bit deeper and deeper in the conversation. And uh, he, he shares with me um, that, that he has had the experience of driving where he's been pulled over, and the only reason he could figure it out was basically because he was black. And I would think, wow, you know, if that had happened to me, I think I would respond to a lot of anger and frustration. But somehow that's not how Roland Forbes has chosen to sort of live his life. Somehow through his faith, he's, he's decided that there's another alternative to just being mad and being vengeful and being angry and being bitter. And he is now dedicating his life to improving the relationships between police and minority communities in Lancaster. That's a witness to me. That's somebody who is saying that there is a God who's living, who's taking away the sin of the world, and we can be a part of it. Okay, another example. This week, I uh, found out that one of uh, the members of our church had a sister that died. And so I called up the person, and I was expressing my condolences on behalf of the church of, of their grief. And, uh, and I said, well, when's the funeral? And the person said, well, um, you know, the family that's sort of in charge of the funeral has decided to wait until May. I was like, wow, that's, that's a long time. Now, just as an aside here, I, funerals uh, nowadays, they get pushed back longer and longer away. And I'm just going to say, as a pastor, I 100% think that is really hard for you all. Okay? It's, just, it's just hard. And every family that ever does it, it's easier to push it off. But I can just tell it just weighs so heavily on family. And so I said, well, would you, would you like to do, what if we did this? What if, what if you came to the church tomorrow and we... Um, you could share a story about your sister. We'll say some prayers together. I'll read some scripture. Maybe even we'll sing a hymn. We'll just do something, just kind of the chance for you to exhale. And the person said, you know, I'd really like that, Pastor. So I let the other staff know. I say, you know, I'm going to need the sanctuary tomorrow. And then uh, Becky, our, our main musician, says, uh, are other people invited? And I'm kind of like, well, sure, sure, Becky. Yeah, you know, you can come, right? You know, no problem. Musicians are always welcome. So, um... So the next day, I, I show up, and I'm going to enter the sanctuary, and there's a group of people that have arrived. Well, Becky had invited all the people in the handbell choir, because this person whose sister died was a handbell player. And at the spur of the moment, almost 10 people then had showed up. And we, we all gathered, and uh, then uh, uh, and nobody knew the sister. And they, we all got to hear stories about the sister. And then we ended up singing the 23rd Psalm together in a hymn. And then we all gathered around the baptismal font, and we remembered the faith into which the sister was baptized. And uh, we all together then recited at the end, not only our faith in Jesus, but we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. And we got to proclaim to each other that, that we believe that death does not have the final word, that the sin of the world has been taken away. And, and all those people who showed up, they were like John the Baptist to me. Not like wearing crazy clothing out in the wilderness, but they were, they were like John the Baptist in that they were pointing to the fact that the Lamb of God is living and is actively taking away the sin of the world, taking away the power of death. 
Now, in my, in my sermon today, I've, I've managed to mention um, complex divorces in families, race, police, and, um, and the way families do funerals. So I, I'm not sure if there's anybody who I haven't somehow managed to hurt or offend. Um, but why am I doing this? Well, because I want to get us to the point where we finally begin to start to answer that question honestly. What are we seeking? What are we seeking? And I think for all of us, we have that, that sense that the world isn't made whole yet, that, that, that we're longing for, for a sense of, of peace and righteousness to, to come and to just sort of envelop and take over our lives. And if that's where you are this day, then, then hear the word of John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, and then hear the invitation of our Savior, the one who says, come and see and dwell with me. Amen.